You've got shit. I've got shit. We've all got shit. So let's therapize that shit with your host, me, Joy Gerhard. Please note, I am not a therapist. I cannot and do not diagnose anyone or prescribe anything. This is just me, someone who struggles with mental illness, emotions, and intrusive thoughts, sharing what skills I've used and how I've used them. Also, trigger warning, in this podcast, I talk about sensitive topics including mental illness, suicidal ideation, self-harm, rape, childhood sexual assault, trauma, and more. I also swear here and there, so listener discretion is advised. If you're new to the podcast, some context for you. I've gotten a ton of value out of doing group therapy and watching others process their shit. In group, I can see other people's patterns and behaviors much more clearly because they aren't my patterns and behaviors, but rather they're adjacent to mine. It's such a relief. I want to share this relief with you via this podcast, wherein I practice skills while actually in the thick of shit. Each episode, I typically do an introduction and provide some context. Then I play a recording of me actively dealing with shit. This isn't me talking about psychology or theories. I'm actually in distress, having strong emotions and strong urges. You're going to hear me crying, angry, numb. But my intention is always to move through an emotion, never to stay there. So stick with me, and we'll actually come out on the other side by the end of the episode. Alrighty, let's hop to it. Welcome, welcome. (laughs) Guys, it has been a hot minute. Today is March 28th, which also happy birthday to my younger sister. Um, And I have been sitting on this episode for four months. Like I started editing it back in December of 2022, and it is March 28th of 2023. And a lot's been going on, so I haven't been prioritizing getting these episodes up. Um, I've been recording a lot, I just haven't been editing. At any rate, I am currently experiencing, I don't know if it's pelvic floor spasm, I don't know if it's a bladder spasm, whatever the fuck. I'm in a lot of pain. There's not a lot that's touching it, so I'm not feeling like 100%, but (laughs) not feeling 100%. Oh, way to way to downplay it, Joy. I'm feeling like absolute trash. But on the plus side, I can't go to the gym. I can barely move. So here we are, bedridden, doing a podcast episode. So let's actually like dive into it, shall we? Why did it take me this long? Well, uh, with a lot of these recordings, I just kind of drop them into a folder for future episodes. And they aren't labeled all that usefully. Usually it's just the date that I recorded them on. So I started listening to the first minute or so of the recording and instantly was like, oh, fuck, I don't want to do this one. I fucking hate values inventories. I hate doing it. I think it's pointless. I I, I have the thought that it's pointless. I have a lot of grief around it because I don't really, I don't really live into my values. And it... Feels like getting a really good snapshot of exactly how fucked I am. So I resist doing it. I avoid it, and I sure as hell avoid going back and re-listening to this fucking recording. But uh, I'm going to do it anyway. So (laughs) why the fuck are we talking about values? In the context of DBT... uh, Wait, hang, hang on. Okay, 
let me back up. So what is DBT? Most of the skills I reference in this podcast and really all these episodes are from the DBT manual by Marsha Linehan. DBT stands for Dialectic Behavioral Therapy and is my therapy type of choice. The DBT manual is linked in the description, both where you can find it as a PDF and where you can buy a hard copy. Whenever I'm quoting the DBT manual or really anybody else's work other than my own, I'm going to turn on a bit of reverb so that I sound like I'm in a Jesuit convent or more accurately, a Jesuit convent bathroom. Anyway, I will be referencing handouts from several of the DBT modules in this episode, of which there are four. Uh, Mindfulness, interpersonal effectiveness, emotion regulation, and distress tolerance. So when I mention a handout that I'm reading from, I'll say something like, this is from mindfulness handout 12 or whatever. So you can follow along if you are so inclined. Okay, now let's ask why the fuck we're talking about values and where do values fit in the context of DBT. They're one of the things that can help reduce our vulnerability to emotion mind, which isn't to say that it reduces my emotions, but rather it reduces how vulnerable I am to getting stuck in emotion mind i.e. being stuck in a place where I'm only concerned about right now, like the short term and not the long term, being stuck in a place where I am being driven by my emotions rather than my emotions being like the passenger (laughs) in, in my bus that my wise mind is driving. Like that's the ideal situation that my my wise mind is driving the bus and that my emotions and my thoughts are in the bus. They're along for the ride. And they're not driving it. So backing up even further, um, I've talked about the e-wheel before, the emotion wheel. It's an alternate version of what's on emotion regulation handout five, a model of describing emotions. I have a link to the graphic in the show notes. Simply put, the emotion wheel or e-wheel is a model that describes our emotions as made up of experiences, expressions, and echoes. All of them start with e, ergo the e-wheel. Uh, experiences are what we feel like on the inside, what no one else can see, stuff like physical sensations, body sensations, and urges to act. Expressions are how we communicate our feelings to others. So what's visible to other people, and that includes stuff like what I said or did, facial expressions, and body language. Echoes are how my emotion influences my attention, mood, thinking, and actions as the day goes on. So again, the emotion wheel is made up of our experiences, expressions, and echoes. And what starts that wheel spinning is either an event, like a thing that happens, or an interpretation, so my thoughts about a thing that happened. And how likely the emotion wheel is to start spinning is called emotion vulnerability. Put another way, how easy it is for that wheel to start spinning is based on my vulnerability to emotions. And it's affected by... Health, stress, self-esteem, preparation for life's difficulties, and doing things each day that give joy and satisfaction. So back to my original question, where do values fit in the DBT framework? They are one of the things that help reduce emotion vulnerability. Ergo, making it harder for that e-wheel to start spinning out of control. So let's talk about reducing emotion vulnerability. It means we're going to jump over to emotion regulation handout 14. Cleverly titled, Overview, Reducing Vulnerability to Emotion Mind, Building a Life Worth Living. There are four main skills listed here. 
accumulate positive emotions, build mastery, cope ahead of time with emotional situations, and take care of your mind by taking care of your body. In accumulating positive emotions, particularly long-term, that's where values live. So now we're going to jump over to Emotion Regulation Handout 17, which boils down how to build towards a life worth living in seven easy steps of only $49.99. Call now. No, it, um, it boils... It boils it down to seven kind of overarching steps, which may sound simple, but I mean, it is simple, but it's not easy. I wouldn't say it's easy. So the steps are step one, avoid avoiding. Step two, identify values that are important to you. Step three, identify one value to work on now. Step four, identify a few goals related to this value. Step five, choose one goal to work on now. Step six, Identify small action steps towards your goal. And step seven, take one action step now. So the first step, I'm feeling a little, a little convicted here, <laughs> a little cold on the carpet ever so slightly, is avoid avoiding, which is what I have been doing about this fucking episode for four months. So step one, avoid avoiding. I am doing that by recording the rest of this goddamn episode. Step two is identifying values that are important to you. And in the recording that I'm about to play for you, I'm actually using the ACT values inventory, ACT, which stands for acceptance and commitment therapy. I don't have a ton of experience with it. I did it for about four months back in like 2019, 2020 from Wikipedia's article on ACT. Acceptance and commitment therapy, ACT, typically pronounced as the word ACT, is a form of psychotherapy, as well as a branch of clinical behavior analysis. It's an empirically based psychological intervention, and it differs from some other kinds of cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT, in that rather than trying to teach people to better control their thoughts, feelings, sensations, memories, and other private events, ACT teaches them to just notice, accept, and embrace their private events, especially previously unwanted ones. ACT aims to help the individual clarify their personal values and to take action on them, bringing more vitality and meaning to their life in the process, increasing their psychological flexibility. So yeah, um, ACT puts a lot of importance on acting in accordance with one's values, which I fucking hate. When I first did ACT back in 2019 or 2020, um, I was reading from the book... (laughs) this title, man. Get Out of Your Mind and Into Your Life, The New Acceptance and Commitment Therapy by Stephen C. Hayes, PhD with Spencer Smith. Yeah, not a great title. Um, But this is what that book has to say about values. First, we need to state a warning. You are entering into some of the most difficult work in this entire book. This is from page 154, by the way. If you notice a feeling of heaviness in response to this work, if you begin to feel disempowered, if you start to feel insignificant, if, once again, you think or feel that you are holding on to the short end of the stick with nowhere to go, stop. These are sure signs that your mind is taking over. If you run into these kinds of feelings over the course of chapters 11, 12, and 13, take a step back and start over with this chapter, using all of the strategies you've learned in the book up to this point. See if you can diffuse from your... See if you can diffuse from your mental hooks this second time around. Values are vitalizing, uplifting, and empowering. They are not another mental club to beat yourself with or another measurement to fail against. So that's reassuring and validating because I fucking hate digging into values shit. 
So ACT defines values as chosen life directions. Uh, But as with a lot of words, we need to be clear on the definitions here. So let's talk about choice and let's talk about directions. Some quick context. Chapter 11 of the Get Out of Your Mind and Into Your Life book uh, opens with an analogy about our life as a bus. Imagine that you've been driving a bus called your life. Like any bus, as you move along, you pick up passengers. In this case, your passengers are your memories Bodily sensations, conditioned emotions, programmed thoughts, historically produced urges, and so on. So in light of this bus analogy, let's talk about what a direction is. So imagine that your bus is traveling through a large, flat valley with many gravel roads. All around you are distant mountains, hills, trees, and rocks. In the more immediate area, there are ponds, shrubs, pastures, rocks, and streams. Your bus is equipped with a compass. You must choose a direction to follow, and you say, I think I'll go east. You look at the compass, and you turn your bus to head east. You see a road ahead. It isn't perfectly due east, but it leads you in that direction. You move the bus forward, come to the end of the road, and are presented with a couple of alternative routes. You study the alternatives and go forward once more, more or less in an easterly direction. So when do you actually get to east? How will you know that you have arrived at east? When is the direction called east finished? When have you gone as far east as you can go? If you're not trying to get to a specific place, but are just following a direction, the answer is never. Directions are not something you get in the way that you get an object or get to a city. In the same way, values are intentional qualities that join together a string of moments into a meaningful path. They are what moments are about, but they are never possessed as objects because they are qualities of unfolding actions, not of particular things. Said another way, values are verbs and adverbs, not nouns or adjectives. They are something you do or a quality of something you do, not something you have. They are something you do or a quality of something you do. They never end. You are never finished. For example... Say one of your values is to be a loving person. This doesn't mean that as soon as you love someone for a few months, you're done, as you can be done with building a house or done with earning a college degree. There's more loving to do, always. Love is a direction, not an object. Okay, so remember that values are chosen life directions. We just talked about directions. Now let's talk about choice. And Guys, I'm not going to read this part because it just gets so far into the weeds. Basically, you keep asking why. Like, why are you choosing fish instead of a hamburger? Well, because fish is healthier. Well, why is that important? Because I want to be healthy. Why is that important? Because I want to live a long time. Why is that important? Because I want to have a family and see them grow up. And why is that important? It just is. (laughs) Like, you keep going until you get to... It just is. And that's basically like that is the value. Like if you have the value of being able to have a family and seeing them grow up, your value is the yardstick that you use, the ultimate yardstick. We started with, you know, what to eat, hamburger or fish. And the yardstick we were using is how healthy they are, which may specifically actually be how many calories are in them or how many trans fats or whatever. And then, well, why did we choose that yardstick of having fewer calories? Well, because we want to live a healthy life. Why are, you, we, why are we using that yardstick? 
Well, because they want to live a long time. But why are we using that yardstick? And eventually, ultimately, you get all the way to the end with, I just, I want to have a family and see them grow up just because. So a couple other things to keep in mind. Values are not goals. Goals are the things that you can obtain while walking a valued path. Goals are concrete, achievable events, situations, or objects. They could be completed, possessed, or finished. Goals are not the same as directions. If goals are confused with directions, once they've been achieved, progress must necessarily stop. And that's from page 159 of the Getting Out of Your Mind and Into Your Life book. Another thing that values are not. Values are not feelings. Presumably, all of our experiences inform our values in the sense that a whole person makes the choices. Sometimes that means there are feelings that accompany value choices. Over time, you'll learn the degree to which feelings can help you know when you're living in accord with your values. For example, many people feel a sense of vitality when their actions line up with their chosen values. That doesn't mean that values are feelings. Most especially, it doesn't mean that values are doing what feels good, particularly in the short term. That was on page 159. And then on page 160, it says, feelings are things you can have. By definition, values are not anything you can possess the way you can possess an object. Moreover, feelings are not something you can control, while choosing a direction is something you can control. Another thing that values are not. Values are not outcomes. Although living your life according to your values often leads to wonderful outcomes, they are not a sneaky way to get what you want in the concrete world. Values are directions, not outcomes. A value can be continuously present, even when we're thwarted in reaching an outcome. Like in the bus analogy, you're heading east even when you stop to get gas and you're not actively heading east. Or if you get a flat tire and you're not actively heading east. But going east is your direction even when you're thwarted in taking action in that direction. And that was on page 160. So that's why values matter. I don't know why I felt the need to explain it. I think most, well... I don't know that I could have told you why values matter <laughs> prior to rereading all of that. I, I know like fundamentally that they do, but I couldn't have told you why. So um, I'm going to be doing some exercises from a website called The Happiness Trap by Russ Harris. And I've linked to it in the description. It's a basically a, a series of questions to ask yourself to help clarify values and make life changes. And it asks us to imagine, in a world where you had unlimited confidence, how would you behave differently? How would you walk and talk differently? How would you play, work, and perform differently? How would you treat others differently? Your friends, relatives, partner, parents, children, and work colleagues. How would you treat yourself differently? How would you treat your body? How would you talk to yourself? How would your character change? What sort of things would you start doing? What would you stop doing? What goals would you set and work towards? What difference would your newfound confidence make in your closest relationships? And how would you behave differently around those people? What difference would your newfound confidence help you make in the world? Meh. Like, I'm... I don't know how I feel about confidence as, like, an ultimate good, like, a thing to value. But I can say that one of the things that takes a pretty big fucking hit from chronic invalidation is confidence. Like I doubt myself, I doubt my own experience. So this was actually a pretty good mental exercise, especially because I've been having a hard time even envisioning what a confident me might look like. 
So that's where we're going to pick up in the recording that I'm about to play for you. Oh, hold on. But before I get into that final thing, real quick, guys, a huge thank you to my Patreon supporters. We've got... uh, We've got Sunny and Juicy, who recently started supporting me. Uh, We've got another person who's requested to remain anonymous. So thank you, Anonymous. We've got Andrew, who's been supporting me for several months now. So a great big thank you again to Andrew. And of course, we can't forget the OGs, the ones who've been with me since the beginning, Anne and Ruth, my sisters. You guys are, oh, what are you? reversible sea cucumbers and are 98.2% of the reason why this podcast exists for public consumption. So thank you so much, all of you. And if you, dear listener, would like to support this podcast, the link to my Patreon is in the description. All right, finally, let's play the recording. This recording, which was originally made May 10th, 2022, and again, it's, it's currently March 28th, 2023. So we're like, what is that, 10 months ago? Yeah, I've got some catching up to do. Anyway, take it away, past Joy. Okay, I'm about to do my exposure to the ACT values inventory, and I'm anticipating just having a shit time of this. So let's get started. I started just looking at the ACT values inventory and already started having really strong emotions come up and felt hopeless and angry and all manner of things. So what we have here is, it's from The Confidence Gap by Russ Harris, Clarifying Values and Making Life Changes. Um, In chapter one, I will post this on the website So you guys can do it too, if you want to. So I'm copying this over into an Excel spreadsheet because, you know, I live, my life is for Excel so that I can write out my answers and have it make some sense of sense. And of course it's not working. I can't even copy and paste because, oh, we're going to have a meltdown. I can feel it coming. I just want to copy this. And then paste it like that. Thank you. Okay. Already, like, I'm looking at these as I input them, and already I'm stressed. Like, I can feel the panic rising in my body and really not liking this. Okay. So I'm going to start with this first section. Clarifying values and making life changes. Please take as long as you need to read through and carefully consider the important questions that follow. And I'm only going to spend 20 minutes on this, so this whole thing is going to be done in pieces. Then complete the written section that follows. Note, this exercise is from a book on confidence, but feel free to change the keyword. For example, if you're searching for happiness or self-esteem, Then substitute the term unlimited happiness or unlimited self-esteem for unlimited confidence. So it starts with, in a world where you had unlimited confidence, dot, dot, dot. And I could switch that out for in a world where you have unlimited self-esteem or in a world where you have unlimited happiness. I'm going to stick with confidence 
And the reason is because I think that's the big thing that being invalidated so much has done. Like, I don't believe myself. I don't think my feelings are valid. I don't think my experiences are valid. I don't think they're real half the time. I don't think I'm real half the time. And so we're going to stick with unlimited confidence here because I can't even fathom what that would look like. All right. In a world where you had unlimited confidence, how would you behave differently? So I have a pretty shit imagination. If I haven't seen it in some form, I can't imagine it. And it's actually important that I see it in the same form that I'm trying to imagine it in. Like my sister keeps giving me examples of people who followed their passion and just basically were themselves. And by being authentically themselves, were able to show up in a world and create a a business or a service or something that had people go, that's really valuable. I I will give you money for that. And every example that my sister gives is examples of people in the public eye. So even like Hannah Gadsby, who is an introvert and autistic, like myself, that's still an example of somebody who's living in the public eye. And I want examples of people who are not in the public eye, who can sit in their closet with a laptop. And so it's clear, like, those are examples. Well, Hannah Gatsby is an example of somebody who is sort of like me, um, at least in some key areas, uh, and has found remarkable success in just showing up authentically. I still can't wrap my head around what my life could look like because it won't look like that. So in order to answer these questions, I am going to be looking at my positive deviance or positive outliers. So looking for times when I have had unlimited confidence and how did I behave? Because there are positive outliers, there are positive deviants. There are instances where that has happened where I am given free reign to do a thing that I know I'm skilled at. And I'm given the kind of the parameters that I'm trying to meet or operate within and then told, go ahead, do your thing. So I'm trying to think of when that's ever happened. Certainly for myself, it's usually when I'm doing something for me rather than for someone else. My friends that I I organize their home for, there have been times when they've said, here, we want this kind of end product. We want this type of organization or we want a space to put this stuff. You do whatever you think is most effective. And even then I don't have full confidence because I'm like, am I doing it the way they want? Is this going to be something that they're happy with? I don't know. So typically I only really have full confidence when I'm doing stuff for myself. So like when I made my graphic design website, that was a website for me. Like I didn't have to meet the criteria or parameters put down by a client. It was just for me, whatever made me happy. That's a good example. Unlimited confidence. This is the first fucking question and I am on the struggle bus here. Okay, well, we're going to go just with my website because that's, that is an example and I'm going to use it. I go fast. I go so fucking fast. I am in flow mode. I am, I have my blinders on. I can get so much done so quickly. And that actually reminds me of the first website I ever built for, uh, I have shame around this. So here we're doing opposite action to shame here. I was the volunteer coordinator for the Women's March in Seattle it's not that I have shame around the position that I had so much as how the Women's March went and the fallout of the Women's March 
and, of course, the ongoing fallout of white feminism, the impact that it had on the other marginalized people in the group, um, the Black folks, Indigenous folks, other people of color in the group, um, the impact that it had on queer folks in the organizing team. I have a lot of shame around this. At any rate, that is for me to process. Uh, but yes, so like two weeks in, I am aware that we need to get information out quickly to a lot of people. We need a centralized location for it. And the Facebook group is not enough. So I messaged one of the people on the communications committee and said, hey, have you guys built a website yet? And they wrote back and said, no. And I said, don't. I've got it. That was at 11 o'clock at night. And I had the website built by two in the morning. And I'd never built a website before. This was my very first. So I had to set up, you know, it was a WordPress site. So it wasn't like a lot of bills and whistles. But I had to figure it all out. And I did in three fucking hours. Like, I don't have words for how fast I can work and get things done when I am left to my own devices and I get to make all of the decisions. I have really clear parameters. I have been communicated with even like this was the website for the team that I was on. I wasn't building it for somebody else so much as I was building it for our team and I was also on the team. So essentially it was for me. But yeah. Like I worked so fucking fast and I got to just make executive decisions, bam, bam, bam. And I was Googling, I was looking up a lot of stuff, like, how do I do this? How do I do that? And, you know, adjusting my searches because I would make up like an initial search. And then like after reading three or four articles or skimming them, I was like, ah, this is the word I need to be searching for. And then I would do that search. I worked so fast. I just bang shit out. And... I also have the belief that it doesn't have to be perfect. I can do it. I can get it 90% of the way there and then go back and hone it after I get feedback from other people or we use it for a while and see where the pain points are, etc. So there's a lot of, I think I have a lot of kind of compassion for myself. I don't have judgment. I have the belief that let's try this and see how it goes. And if it sucks, I can make adjustments. It is not the end of the world if there are things that are wrong with it or things that wrong is a judgment, things that don't work, things that are not as efficient as we want, things that are communicating, you know, something other than what we want to communicate, blah, blah, blah. So when I have unlimited confidence, I also have a lot more acceptance about how things are and I can allow myself to just start going and figure it out as I go, because I have confidence that I can figure it out as I go. And I don't need to have all the information from the get go in order to do that. It's kind of like a choose your own adventure, as distinct from how novels are, where as a reader, you know, when I start on this page, I know that the next page I'm going to go to is page two. And the next page I'm going to go to is page three. And I'm going to go through these pages. Whereas a choose your own adventure, you start on page one and you have no idea what pages you're going to go through and which order you're going to go in. You could go from page one to page 99 and then page 75 and then page 102 and then page 27 and you're jumping all over the place. And that's okay. Like you don't have to have all of the choices determined at the beginning of starting the choose your own adventure. And that's how I function when I'm confident. I'm like, okay, I'm going to start at a point and we'll figure it out as we go. I would be okay taking first steps without knowing the next steps. I think that would be another thing that I would just start on things and be like, okay, we'll figure out the next steps as we go. 
Question two here. In a world where you had unlimited confidence, how would you walk and talk differently? I don't know how I'd walk differently. I mean, that's not entirely true. I would walk the way I walk when I have to go to the mall for a very specific item that I know. I know what specific item I want and what specific store it's in and how to get to that store. Like power walking the entire way. I am not paying attention to any of the other things. This is not a meander. This is not a sachet. This is not a leisurely stroll through the mall and kind of like window shopping. No, no. When I know what my objective is, I am speed walking to that store, to the shelf where that thing is. I'm grabbing it. I'm going to the cashier. I'm paying for it. And I'm leaving the same way I came in. It's power walking. I would be kind of like laser focused, I guess. Um, certain of my objective and like aiming for it at full speed. And if I, you know, there have been times when I've gone to the mall and I knew what I wanted at which store and I go there and they're out or they don't have the right color or the right size or what have you. And then I stop and I do a quick Google search and I see, okay, where else does this item live? Does it live in another store in this mall or does it live in another mall, like the same store, but in a different mall? Do I need to drive there? So it's not the end of the world if my objective is thwarted. Uh, I can make adjustments and that's okay. Um, as far as how I would talk differently in a world where I had unlimited confidence, I would make declarative statements. It wouldn't be couched as a question. It would be, we're going to try this. We're going to give this a go. And once we've tried that, once we've done that first thing, here are the assessments that I'm going to do to get to the next step. Does it work? Does it not work? What are the pain points? I would be able to like kind of paint a plan of attack. So like an author writing a choose your own adventure, because that's how life is. Life is more closely related to a choose your own adventure than it is to a novel. Like it's not, I don't think it's pre-written. So I would say, here's what we're going to start with. And I'm anticipating that at some point we're going to have to make a decision and we'll make it when we get there. And there's nothing wrong with that. But that's one of the strengths that I have is that I'm, I am actually okay starting a thing and not knowing all of it from the beginning. I'm okay trying something and then making adjustments as I go. There are times when that's not going to be the case. Like I remember at the makerspace that I worked at for three years, I had to choose our CRM. The, like the CRM, that software was going to be how we sold things, how we had people register for events, had people sign up for memberships. There was a bunch of things that this thing needed to do. So like, I didn't want it to be a situation where I was like, okay, we'll try, try this one on and we'll use it for a few months. And if it doesn't work, we'll put on a new one because the amount of setup is so huge. So really, I did a huge amount of research at the beginning. I researched a bunch of different CRMs and different plugins that would manage these sorts of things, did price comparisons and the different feature, like a feature comparison of if there was a thing that we needed that they didn't have, were there ways to get around that and address it in a different way, blah, 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 blah. So it was important to do all that work first on this one and then make a choice of which CRM to use, install it and move forward from there and figure that out as I went. But I'm also confident that I, I can tell the distinction between those things. Like I know when there are times when I need to actually sit and plan a lot. And then there are times when I can just give something a try and see how it goes. I know how to figure out, is this a thing I need to research? 
Is this the thing I can just start on and figure it out as I go? There are things that are a mix of those things, but I'm really good at identifying systems and creating systems and like noticing (laughs) patterns and uh, kind of stepping back and like, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. And that is one of my skills. So how would I talk differently? I would... How would I talk differently? I think I would have much stronger boundaries around the sorts of conversations that I have. I would have boundaries around how I talk to myself if I had unlimited confidence. Because one of the things I do, and this is something I'm just starting to track on my diary card that I fill out every day for DBT therapy, uh, is noticing when I'm ruminating trying to come up with in my head the perfect argument to convince usually my parents of a thing. But it's not always my parents. Like the Supreme Court thing recently with Roe v. Wade, I noticed myself constantly like driving in the car while I'm at the gym, trying to come up with like a foolproof argument that no one would be able to refute. And I spent a lot of time doing that because I think, well, Clearly, I seek validation externally rather than internally. So my self-talk would be different. Um, I would not be engaging in conversations that, that that have the underlying goal of seeking validation from other people. There's still, I could still have those conversations and it would not be rooted in this, this desperate need to be validated, which adds a, a desperation to find exactly the right words and to say it in exactly the right way and to not get too emotional so they stop listening and all of these things. Um, I would, yeah, have more, I would have more boundaries in, in how other people, in the, the types of conversation I allow with other people. And I would have boundaries on how I talk to myself. And I would focus more on validating myself and focus less on trying to find the perfect argument to convince other people. And this is the last one I'm going to answer today. How would you play work and perform differently? So ironically enough, I have a lot of confidence in how I play. And by play, I would say basically anything I'm doing just as a hobby. So right now that includes doing puzzles and working out um, lifting at the gym or running stairs, embroidery. Uh, those are kind of my big forms of play right now. And I don't know that they would change all that much because I have a huge amount of confidence in how I play. I don't buy a puzzle and then think, I don't think I'm going to be able to do this. I don't think I'm going to be able to figure it out. Um, but by and large, like when I picked up embroidery uh, a year ago, maybe over a year ago, like I just picked it up and started doing it. I had done cross-stitch as a kid, like when I was probably middle school age. So I like was familiar with how to thread a needle and how to tie off some thread. And I'd only ever done cross-stitch, which is a very regimented, you know, there's a pattern, like there's a, a grid on your fabric. And embroidery, I'm just doing on like linen type stuff or muslin. And I'm doing all the designs myself. And they're just for me. 
and they're the things that I like and that I want to look at. And the reason I did it was because there were certain phrases that I wanted to remember and I didn't want to have like sticky notes up everywhere. So I'm like, let's embroider them. So some of the things that I've embroidered are, it's a quote from Neil Gaiman, fairy tales are more than true, not because they tell us dragons exist, but because they tell us dragons can be beaten. And I'll take pictures of these and throw them up on the Instagram account. I have one that's, this is terrible, keep going, which is a quote from a true crime podcast that I listen to, my favorite murder. I have one that says, not fragile like a flower, fragile like a bomb, which is a quote from a poem. I don't remember who the author is, but I'll link to it when I post the picture. I'm working on one right now that says, I'm practicing accepting that my experience is valid, even if no one can ever fully understand or validate it. Uh, Another one that I haven't started working on yet says, my intellect is finite. So yes, those are positive outliers, right? Those are things that I just picked up and I'm like, I can do this. I can figure it out. And I did. This is an instance where (laughs) YouTube videos are actually really helpful to see different types of stitches, how people do different types of patterns and stuff. And then I just started creating in Illustrator these designs and then figuring out how to transfer them onto fabric. And I did a bunch of research on how to do those transfers. And I just started going and picking up fabric that were based off colors that I like. And I got thread and I just, you know, let's try it and see how it goes. And the very first one I did is the not fragile like a flower, fragile like a bomb. And it's not awful. Like it looks a little, well, it looks unpracticed because it wasn't literally my first. And the more I do them, the more they look like they're professionally done. (laughs) Like the last one I did uh, is a quote from Dr. Strange for my sister Ruth. And it said... You cannot beat a river into submission. You have to surrender to its current and use its power as your own. I control it by surrendering control? That doesn't make any sense. Not everything does. Not everything has to. Your intellect has taken you far in life, but it will take you no further. Surrender, Stephen. Silence your ego and your power will rise. Which is a conversation between the Ancient One and Stephen Strange. But yeah, like, I just banged it out. It took a long time. There's a lot, the more words there are, the slower it goes. But I have just total confidence in my ability to do this. Like I can figure it out. And so I just start and do it. As far as how I work and perform differently, that's a different thing. So I'm going to be looking at the positive outliers for those. And at this point now, I can jump back to my description of website design because that's how I work. I've answered those three questions. This is going to take a very long time. And we'll start there. I'm going to throw back to future joy. Thanks and goodbye. Actually, I'm not going to throw back to future joy. Now I'm going to fill out the rest of my exposure form, which is where I track how I feel about all of this. So my suds during this, I started at a 70. My peak during it was 70. After I'm like at a 50 right now. This is not important stuff. I don't need to include this. What I want to talk about is what I learned during the exposure task and what is valid about my response to this exposure task. All right, so what is valid about my response to this exposure task? Well, I have a lot of anxiety around finding a job. I have a lot of anxiety around 
working because my experience of working is that every single job I've ever had, I get burnt out at. And it's consistently a three-year cycle. I will be at a thing a year in after a year is when I start to feel burnt out and I can survive it and push through it for two years and then crash so badly that I then am unable to work for a few years. And that is that has happened at the last four jobs that I've had. It's scary. Like my experience of work is that people don't respect my boundaries, that I end up, I come in wearing one hat and I end up wearing five, 10 hats. Like at the makerspace, I was the accountant and I was the marketing director and I was the systems engineer and I was the web designer, the web developer and the marketing manager. So I did all the graphic design for all of our marketing materials and came up with our marketing plan. I ran all the social media. Um, I led tours. I was the the secretary of all of our meetings. I managed the calendar. Um, I led uh, team building events. It was a lot. And it's not, it's not my jam to do that many things. And that, that instance, that situation of coming in to do one thing and then ending up doing 10 is how things go. So I have all of this history of shit and overwhelm and burnout and saying no and not having my no respected, in which case the thing to do is quit. And I haven't done that. So I need to beef up my boundaries clearly. So I had a lot of a lot of anxiety even before starting this task. Like I started the clock on when the exposure task started way before actually starting the exposure task because I started thinking about doing the exposure task and was like, I'm going to have a meltdown. I can feel it coming. And the frustration that I was feeling at trying to copy paste from that document of the act values inventory into a spreadsheet, like it wasn't working. I could feel the tension in me rising where the copy paste is not the problem. It's just the thing that's going to break the camel's back. And luckily I figured out what was going on and was able to diffuse that, but I could feel it. I could feel what would happen if things kept going in this way that I was just going to lose my shit. And by lose my shit to get really granular, start throwing things, start hitting things, start yelling my thinking problem solving brain goes offline and I am literally physically incapable of problem solving. Uh, I get super, super, super angry. That's how my meltdowns manifest anger and there's hopelessness and I start having serious like black and white thinking. Um, like I'm never going to be able to figure this out. It's always going to feel like this. I'm always going to be a failure. I'm never going to find a job. Like all of that was starting to brew. And then I got the copy paste thing to work and was able to kind of like breathe through it. But um, like my, my vulnerability factors are super, super, super high around doing this. So any sort of upset, technical glitch, anything is going to have me feel out of control and wanting to give up, like quit therapy, tell my therapist to fuck off and like, So what is valid about that response? Well, clearly I have a lot of vulnerability factors running. This is a very stressful thing for me because of how this has gone in the past. And because I have, I don't really have a strong imagination or ability to imagine the future. It feels hopeless because I don't have a lot of instances where I've had a job 
that I have been happy at. (laughs) And certainly like with any sort of long-term sustainability, I can do a thing and enjoy it for a little while. And then I start taking on more and more things and it becomes, I stop holding that boundary for myself and I become more and more overwhelmed. So given that that is, I mean, I guess it's a form of trauma, job trauma, um, in so much as how my body reacts to it, it wants to avoid even thinking about it. And the act of thinking about it has me want to scream at the world. So this is going to be a fun exposure task because I get to do this every fucking day. All right. So I'm going to end there. All right, folks. So welcome back to the present. I know I didn't get super far into all of the questions about confidence that I had listed um, before I played the recording. Um, But if you're interested in going through it for yourself, the link is in the description. Again, it's from The Confidence Gap by Russ Harris. And the link to the PDF of that is in the description. And there's some there's some solid stuff. I'm not like wild with how this episode turned out. If I'm going to talk about values, there's actually a lot of stuff that I would really like to talk about, which I didn't get to this time around. But because step one of accumulating positive emotions long term is avoid avoiding, I am going to do this thing imperfectly rather than wait for some mythical perfection to strike me. So we will continue to talk about values. I'm going to continue to talk about doing exposure therapy. Um, I've been taking a break from exposure for several months, and I will get back into it um, like in the next month, I think, actually. But you're going to, you know, come along for that ride. So thank you for listening. Thank you for being here. Thank you for your support. And thank you for your patience as I avoided the ever living crap out of publishing this episode. And I, again, still don't know how to end this. So I'm just going to end it super abruptly. This has been Let's Therapize That Shit with your host, me, Joy Gerhard. If you like what you heard, please rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends about it. I'll see you next time. Intro and outro music is Swan Lake Opus 20 by Tchaikovsky, performed by the London Symphony Orchestra, conducted by Anatoly Fistulari, and released on LP by Richmond High Fidelity London Records in 1952.